So if you're just joining us, we want to welcome you to our service and to what we call our roundtable discussion. So I'm going to pose a question, and if you would like to contribute, we welcome you to unmute yourself and share your thoughts or type in the comment, and uh, Sarah or I can read your comment if you would prefer not to unmute yourself and speak. And if you do share something um, and you would like it to be included in the podcast audio recording that we share publicly, if you could just let us know in the chat or let us know directly or even just give your verbal permission when, you, when you've done sharing, if you would like it to be included. So the question for this morning is, would you rather ask a question or have the answer? Would you rather ask a question or have the answer? So um, when I think about that, I'm like, I'm a verbal processor. So sometimes I, <laughs> I will ask questions and then I need to talk about the question so I can figure out what it is that I'm actually asking. And sometimes I find my own answer, but sometimes I really appreciate uh, when other people can be like, oh, I think this is what you're saying or, or whatever. I think, um, I think my orientation to being someone who questions when I think uh, I will question things, I'm not sure if that's the same as being someone who asks questions or has answers, but uh, I definitely feel a need to question things and understand why things are the way they are. Um, and answers are also great. I kind of, can I choose both? I would like to choose both. So if you've got thoughts on that, are you a question answer? Are you one who likes to have answers? If you wanna unmute yourself and share, we'd love to hear it. I've got some wisecrack answers going on in the, uh, in the chat right now. 12, green, it's like, that's the answer, but what, what, what even was the question? Right, right. So, so helpful. Um, and also, I, the older I get, the more I appreciate the questions. I think I agree with that. The older I get, the more I appreciate the questions. I like questions a lot. Yeah. Oh, and there's another answer here, or comment, I should say. Can we like the process and spiral of questions and curiosity in order to get some answers? So that sounds like you love the process of questioning that that seems allowed. Isn't the answer to life, the universe, and everything 42? Bacon family, you were absolutely right, which is a quote from a, oh, the, the name of the- Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I could picture the movie that I, but I couldn't picture the title. But yeah, when all else fails, 42. Yeah, I'd like to just pick up on what Jeff said there. You know, I mean, I think, to some extent, that's where I found myself in the latter part of life, where um, I get to appreciate more people who would just say, no, I don't know, rather than make something up, you know. And um, and also, I remember, I think it was a number of years ago, Gary Best in the vineyard service had said, you know, that's a beautiful question. Why would we want an answer? So I come to uh, enjoy mystery more, you know, not something that, you know, there is no answer to. It's just that we perhaps can't fathom it out and never will, probably should try, but also accept that there's a good chance with our human sort of frailty and our human limitations that we're just not going to know. And um, 
I was looking the other day at what was the definition of, you know, what happens during communion. And across, across history, there's been lots of debate about that and not a lot of agreement. But the Orthodox Church has come up with a position, well, that's just a mystery and just leave it there. And you go, I kind of I like that. And it's, I think for me, um, maybe what the rest of my life will be about, appreciating that there's stuff that we just can never know that we should try. And, and that's perhaps a little bit of who God is and how we're supposed to relate to him. Yeah. Well, thank you, Steve. Yeah. And I've got one more comment here in, in the in the comment section, just that, that there is just a lot of gray zone these days and that's okay. And maybe that uh, even alludes to what you're saying, Mark, like just in the places where we don't get answers when we want them, that we can learn to be with that and wait with without demanding an answer. Just reading one more thing. Um, okay, so here's a, another, another quote and it says, one of my sons brought this quote back from school. The quote says, my mother made me a scientist without ever intending to. Every other Jewish mother in Brooklyn would ask her child after school, so did you learn anything today? But not my mother, Izzy, she would say, did you ask a good question today? That's the difference. Asking good questions made me become a scientist, which is from, oh, I hope I say this right, Isidore Isaac Rabbi, who's a Nobel laureate. So there you go. Did you ask good questions today? That is a powerful thing. And then one last comment, when I taught math, the questions were never to get the answer. Those were in the back of the book. The point was to see if you knew how to find the answer. So there you go. There are the roundtable thoughts this morning on questions and answers. And with that, I will pass off to Lando this morning for our communion time together. Thanks, Lando. You bet. As Steve uh, spoke uh, just a few minutes ago about communion, it kind of ties in with what I was going to say. There are many different uh, ways to think about communion. There are different practices, different procedures. Uh, sometimes the whole group drinks from the same chalice, and we each take a chunk of bread from the same loaf, or we could have individual small containers with juice and a wafer as we do at our live gatherings are sometimes a little tricky to open up but they work some groups have communion uh once a year once a month or every sunday that's our practice maybe you have the eucharist all figured out and your theology is in line or you don't really know too much about it you are most welcome uh, as we are simply asked by the lord jesus to do it to join in this remembrance of the mystery of our faith in how Jesus died, lived, died, and rose again. Let us consider how he portrayed the supreme act of love by giving his life for us so we could experience hope, salvation, and freedom. I want to read from Luke 22, uh, a few verses. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, with such longing have I yearn to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you that I most certainly will not eat it again until it has its fulfillment in the kingdom of God. 
and taking a cup and having given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, I most certainly will not drink from the yield of the vine from now until the kingdom of God comes. Then it says, and taking a loaf of bread, having given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is being offered for you. Do this in my memory. The body of Christ is broken for you. And as we eat, let us remember those whose bodies and minds are broken and maimed or simply older and slower. Those in the regular journey of life and those in war-torn countries and especially the Ukraine. Let us eat the body of Christ broken for you. Let's eat. Verse 20, and after supping, he did likewise with the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is being shed for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. And as we drink, let us remember those whose blood was shed by the direct attack of hostile enemies and those whose blood was shed in trying to rescue others and bring them to safely. And again, especially in the Ukraine, the blood of Christ shed for you. Let us drink. And um, I just want to say this, give this proclamation sometimes called the mystery of our faith. When we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death, O Lord, until you come again. When we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim your death, O Lord, until you come again. Amen. Good morning. Before you, before you start, I'm going to pray for you. All right. So God, I thank you for Eden. I thank you for the gift that she is to our community. And I pray, God, that you would speak through her this morning, that um, her words would speak to our hearts uh, and that you would speak, um, you would speak through her to us today. You would speak directly to our hearts individually and as a community. Amen. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks for the great back and forth uh, with the question for the round table. I, uh, I have a complicated relationship with questions. As a child, I was curious enough to ask questions, but was laughed at enough that I could easily talk myself out of asking another one. I also had this thing about wanting to ask questions that I was pretty sure that I knew the answer to, but thought that asking the question would make me sound or look smart. Clearly, you know, I'm a troubled child. I was definitely scared of asking a stupid question, even though I had heard that there was no such thing as a stupid question. I just, I thought the chance of a question being judged as dumb or stupid was still too high to take the chance. The dynamic of questioning in my childhood home was also a bit of a minefield. 
asking a question like, uh, how can I help was always safe. However, asking one of my parents a question regarding my participation in a certain chore or questioning a particular decision they had arrived at was a lot less safe. Those kind of questions were often followed by a response that indicated that question period was over. It sounded something like this, because I said so. Fast forward to Brad and I having our own children, the three of them seemed to have no qualms about asking questions. It started with the simple why at the age of two and progressed to them asking us challenging questions that really tested our mettle. The because I said so retort was not working with this new generation of children. And so we soon learned that we had better consider the answers that we gave our kids because they were actually listening to our answers and were ready for further thoughts and questions. I think we all understand that questions uh, that grow out of curiosity are the pathway to learning and understanding the world around us. In an educational setting, questions help you to clarify and specify the information that you are being taught. In the context of a relationship, questions are the catalyst that leads to a deeper relationship. We usually start a friendship with a question. Hi, I'm Eden, what's your name? But if we leave that connection there without further questions, well, then there's likely no relationship. Questions are a singularly human form of connection. Questions are the way to open the world to our minds. What would we do without documentaries? Seriously, documentaries are a fantastic media forum that focus, focuses on a, a particular animal, geography, insect, ocean, structures, weather systems, space, even aliens. And it endeavors to answer the questions we didn't even know we had. Documentaries start with someone wondering, what about? So let's translate how we have used and misused questions within the Christian context. I'll ask you a question. How welcome have you felt asking questions within church structures? My most conservative guess at your answer is that it depended on who you asked. The more likely answer is, it was not always safe to ask questions within that context. And I'm going to hazard a guess as to why that is. As a culture, Christians tend to pride themselves in having the answers. Gosh, some of us went to Bible school for years so that we could be armed with volumes and volumes of answers. It provided us a way to give answers to questions that hadn't actually been asked and afforded us the skills to use big words that in effect shut down the conversation and any further questioning. Today's gospel passage 
is from Luke 7 and following. So I'll, I'll summarize that. John the baptizer is in some hot water and has been imprisoned for questioning Herod's relationship with his sister-in-law. <clears throat> so he's got some time to think and maybe worry a bit about things while he's in this cell. And some of John's disciples come to visit him in prison and they tell John all about the miracles that they're seeing performed by Jesus. John listens and then asks two of them to go ask Jesus a question and then to return to tell him the answer. And this is the question they are commissioned to ask. Are you the one? So the disciples go to Jesus and ask him, are you the one? And this is where I've spent most of my curiosity this week. How did Jesus answer this question? Did he let out a sigh and roll his eyes? The passage doesn't indicate that. Did he posture himself in authority? The spirit of his answer doesn't seem to indicate that. Does he get defensive? I'm not seeing it that way. Does the question seem to upset him or anger him? No, nope, not at all. It's not a stupid question. This is Jesus's response. Go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. Jesus is giving John's disciples the authority to look and hear for themselves and to share with John what is happening in Jesus's ministry. But Jesus does go on. And by the way, this is written in the earliest text. There's evidence of some passion on Jesus's part as he lays out what's been happening. And he says this, tell him, tell John, blind people can see, disabled people can walk, people with skin diseases are being cured, deaf people hear, dead people are coming back to life. And this good news, this beautiful gospel is being shared with the poor. Today's translation would be the marginalized. Jesus could have answered this question with a yes or no. Just tell John that I am the one. But he doesn't. Instead, he invites John's disciples to look around, to listen to the stories, to weigh the evidence for themselves as to whether Jesus is the one or not. And in that moment, he invites all who are listening to weigh what they are seeing and experiencing with what they have been learning about Jesus. Jesus didn't put his hands on his head and shake it in frustration with the question being asked. He didn't rise up and say, have you not been listening to me? When are you going to get it? Instead, he leads us all into a discernment process, inviting us to look around and engage in what we are experiencing and are witness to. Jesus was asked a lot of questions in his ministry years. But did you know that Jesus asked twice as many questions as he was asked but when he was questioned, some of his answers seemed kind of rather veiled and confusing at times. 
sometimes time and more context, like hindsight, allow us to come to a better understanding of what an answer indicates. Sometimes Jesus, Jesus's answer wasn't the answer that the questioner wanted to hear. Sometimes the questions were gotcha questions, which is just a way of lobbing a verbal bomb. Sadly, the gotcha questions were predominantly asked by the Jewish religious leaders. And some of us Christian leaders have carried on that tradition. So Jesus seemed to be a bit of a Jedi with questions, like recognizing a genuine question from one that is meant to bring harm and was good at answering them in a way that cut through the BS. So this question from John that cut right to the core of Jesus's identity was a good question. Jesus himself had asked, who do you say I am? Some of us have experienced some form of deconstruction. All of us have shifted our understanding of who God is and how he operates over our lifetimes. Healthy deconstruction is a series of authentic questions we ask about what we believe. Not all of these questions are about what we believe regarding Jesus, God, Holy Spirit. I believe most of the questions are targeted more specifically at church communities and practices. Why are men in charge? Why do so few have so much power? Why does accountability seem so meager? How is it possible to claim to be a loving community and yet not act out in love and not invite everyone to sit at the table? If we consider how Jesus answered John's question, are you the one? We might get some keys to understanding how to discern and move through our deconstruction in a healthy way. First, ask the questions, but consider who you're asking. John sent his question directly to Jesus, even though his own disciples had just told him all about what was happening around Jesus. I encourage you to go to the source. Take time to listen to God on the questions that matter the most to you. And be curious. Ask the why questions and follow up until you feel some peace. Jesus's response to John provided hope for him. It helped him to understand what he was meant to be looking for and validated that Jesus is certainly the one. What today for you validates that Jesus is the one? What evidence do you see and hear around you that Jesus is the one? When do you experience a move of God and how do you respond to that? I know that list that Jesus shared, a list of miracles, might be a tall order for us here in the West. But what counts or qualifies for you as an answer to the question, are you the one? You see how passionate Jesus got as he was recalling the things that he was participating in. Jesus was moved by what was happening around him and through him. So are there things that are happening around you and through you that point to Jesus? This passage 
ends with Jesus saying something a bit curious. He's just passionately listed off some of the miracles that are happening. And then he says this, blessed is the one who does not lose their faith in me. That's the living translation. Or blessed are they who are not offended in me. That's King James. Or blessed is anyone who does not give up their faith because of me. That's the NIV reader's version. Why would Jesus say that? Everybody loved him. Miracles were happening around him and right in front of people's eyes. Why would that be offensive or cause doubt or have someone lose their faith? Remember that Jesus is talking to two of John's disciples who are going back to the prison to share with John how Jesus has responded to this question. This message is for John because Jesus is not going to come to the rescue. If it's about worth, entitlement, playing his part, and John was faithful. He was worthy of being rescued. And yet, Jesus did not perform that miracle for John. So John is left with a question. Will you be offended by me if I don't do a miracle for you? If Jesus has authority to heal, but I'm not healed, or Jesus can raise people from the dead, but my loved ones still die or my friend is still in a wheelchair, then I might become offended, despondent, and even lose my faith because of Jesus. Some of us in our faith journey have really tripped over this very thing, especially if we've been taught that prayer is a formula that twists God, God's arm into doing what we demand. We're left feeling guilty for not having enough faith if our prayer is not answered. And so our hearts grow sick. We lose hope, we despair, and we toss our faith. Jesus encourages us with his words. Blessed are they that are not offended by me. And just in case this makes a difference, Jesus also knows the feeling of not being rescued. And he finishes his human existence with a question. Why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows the struggle we face when life gets hard and things don't turn out like we hoped or planned. He gets it. Our faith in Jesus is not a get out of jail free card. There is a freedom that comes from following Jesus. And it's freedom to live in mercy and grace. There's mercy to face the hardships and disappointments of this life. And grace to rise again. I want to close with a quote from Elizabeth Elliot. If your faith rests in your idea of how God is supposed to answer your prayers, then that kind of faith is very shaky and is bound to be demolished when the storms of life hit it. But if your faith rests on the character of God, who is the eternal I am, 
then that kind of faith is rugged and will endure. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks for showing us that asking questions is just fine. That we're grateful that you engage with us in our pursuit of answers. And help us not to be offended by you when things don't go our way. We welcome your presence in our day-to-day and invite you to walk alongside us even when things are off. Our faith is in who you are, not what you do. Lord, have mercy on us all. Amen.